Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a phenomenal, a brilliant, and amazing day so far, no matter where you are in the world. I am so excited, so grateful, and so pumped for all of you to get to know this week's amazing guest, Miss Tracy Ivanshin. So, Tracy is a dear friend of mine and somebody that I, every time I talk to Tracy, I just have this deep level of gratitude knowing that people like her exist in the world. I mean, she really is one of the purest hearts and just one of the purest souls that I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And after you guys listen to her on this conversation, you're going to know why. So to give a little bit of background, Tracy is a serial entrepreneur. She's the CEO of three companies, a founder and a soul-centered leader. She's a retired social worker, and she's on a mission to change the way that companies and founders hold the space for grieving at work. COVID has interrupted our lives in a lot of different ways. You know, as the fallout with the pandemic, there have been different types of deaths that have come out, whether it's physical death, whether it's the death and loss of a specific lifestyle, whether it's projects ending. I mean, there's so many different things that we as a society don't really have the tools to grieve properly, which then creates a myriad of issues inside of the workplace. And so Tracy's work is so important, especially during these times, because I feel like when companies can hold the space for their employees, for their team members, for their leaders to actually grieve and process the very human elements of being alive in 2021, everyone benefits from that. Uh, There's better work. There's better, um, like it's just the energetics of your company culture is, is so much more in alignment with what's actually happening in the personal lives of us all. And, you know, I've always believed that there is no work-life balance. There's just work-life harmony. And if things aren't great at home, you can't really be great at work. And so Tracy's work, I just feel is so important. And I couldn't wait to have her come onto the show to talk about good grief at work, which is her latest project that helps companies really implement processes, systems, and and customized plans for individuals inside of organizations to feel more cared to as they are grieving different things in their lives. So she's been, she's part of Virgin United's 100% Human at Work group. She attends quarterly gatherings with the Virgin group of companies. I mean, she is, really is one of the one of the most remarkable human beings I know, which is such a tender heart and such a loving presence and you can feel her energy just through the way that she communicates through through this conversation. So I'm super excited for you guys to get to know Tracy. I'm super excited about all of you getting to not just, it doesn't matter if you're a leader, if you're a founder, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're somebody who's working for another organization, these are great conversations to actually bring up with your leadership. And we talk a lot about how you can go about doing that. 
and how you can go about sort of introducing the conversations around what it means to hold the space for someone else inside of a work environment. And I'm really excited for this type of information to be spread with all of you and with the rest of the world. So enjoy it. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes. All that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox and it helps other people who may not be aware of Stay Grounded to learn about the show. The more subscribes there are to the show, doesn't matter on what podcast app you're listening to, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes, it goes a really long way. And let us know what resonated with you on this episode. Shoot me a message on Instagram. Shoot Tracy a message on Instagram. We'll be tagging her in social posts as well. And I hope you guys are all having an amazing, amazing, amazing start to May. My birthday's in a few days. I turned 30 on Wednesday, May 5th. And so I'll be reflecting on a very special decade in my 20s and a very special um, and excited energy to bring into the new uh, to the decade. So anyways... I am done talking, <laughs> and without further ado, here is the amazing Miss Tracy Ivanchin. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a brilliant day so far. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Raj. How are you? Welcome to the show. I am so excited. This has been such a long time coming. I still remember our first conversation in Colombia. Yes. We sat next to each other at dinner and I just remember literally being in your presence and feeling how just present you were. I felt your energy and how much you cared and how much how much love you were pouring into our conversation. And so I'm just so excited for everyone listening to get a a taste and a feel for who you are and to share your brilliance with everyone. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. I also remember that beautiful, beautiful meal and great conversation and, and many since then. And I felt like for a while there, it was just you and I in this tunnel, you know, although there were lots of people around the table, we just sort of got into this beautiful conversation and, um, I just so appreciate it too. I, I feel like you have this gift also that makes people feel like they are the only person in the room. Mm. And uh, that presence, like if your presence is beautiful. You know, actually I have a quote written from you that I would love to maybe start with. The idea of drinking in the person you are with when you are in their presence. I think we were having a conversation the last time we were together and you mentioned that quote. Can you expand on that idea and how that fuels your life? Yes. I can actually, it is this idea of drinking someone in, you know, really feeling like this moment, this opportunity to exchange truths, exchange energy, exchange like the gift of time and whatever, whatever wisdom or ideas or even silliness is meant to be shared in this moment. It's like, you can just drink each other in so that, you know, you, you walk away from that experience with new insights, new energy. You're a different soul because you spent time exchanging true energy, not, not sort of the, how's the weather kinds of chats. As you know, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. I've never been good at those. That's what I think I love about you is that we love to deep. You know, it's interesting. I've been talking a lot about um, grief and specifically grief in the workplace lately, because it's such a timely, timely topic. And, and I really love talking about it because it is such an important truth, but I also, you know, don't want to be known as sort of the grief lady because that's sad. <laughs> I also love talking about all the other truths. Like I love talking about joy 
and love and legacy and all the things that I know are really important to you. And I love listening uh, to your show because you're always uncovering important truths. And I love that. Well, I think there's an important reminder in just the beauty of all of it. I think we as a society tend to focus on one element of the human experience over another. And I think when you're truly drinking somebody in, in the moment, when you're truly being present, it's whatever's true. And grief is a really interesting one. And I really want to spend some time talking about the idea of grief and how important it is to actually be present with it. But I, I just feel like we have this culture of almost like shaming grief it's true. and and putting a timeline on grief on and, and trying to put it into a step-by-step process. And so like, can you kind of unpack the truth of grief for yourself and just what you've experienced with the work you're doing and what you've uncovered on the journey with your own experiences with it? So there's so many myths about grief and you mentioned a couple of them right there. And I know that you've had some experiences in the last little while that have helped shape yeah. your, your realizations about them. And I have too. We all have in the last year for sure, because grief, you know, the first myth is it relates strictly to death. And of course we know that grief, there are so many layers of it and there are so many ways that we lose things and chapters and various things. So I think grief, the, some of the myths are that it is linear or that there are six stages of grief. In actual fact, when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with those six stages of grief, which many people use in lots of different contexts, it was actually specifically talking about the person themselves who was dying. So it was directly related to death. And it was talking about the person who was dying. But people sometimes use it to talk about the people who are grieving, who are left behind and grieving, and that they follow somehow these six stages. But we know that's not true. Grief is, it's like a wave. And I feel that it's, you know, you're, The question is, how long will I grieve this person? And the answer is, well, how long did you love them? Oh, oh my God. That is such, such a powerful statement. And, you know, because I I think the best way that grief was the the permission that I needed to truly grieve uh, my grandmother when she passed was I think a friend of mine or a mentor of mine mentioned that when someone's alive, how do you do you praise them? Like when you truly love somebody, when they're alive, what do you do? You appreciate them. You sing their praises. You talk about them, right? Well, when someone leaves, grieving them, the depth that you're allowing yourself to feel and grieve them is the same thing. It's the mirror for how much this person meant to you. And you know, I've looked at different cultures. I mean, in Indian culture, they have like a year-long grieving period, really, where for the entire year, there's not really any celebrations. There's not really any big moments. But a year from there, then everyone gets together. So like my grandmother's, my grandmother and my aunt passed in September of last year. And so my family's planning on going back to India during that time to do a big celebration. But that that idea of a year, and you look at all different cultures around the world, they give so much space. Why do you think Western culture and Western society, maybe the corporate world, doesn't have that same reverence for the grieving process? Like, where's the disconnect? Well, to me, I think the disconnect comes from these various myths that we have. Also, there's this whole idea that we sort of medicalize death and that we just shroud it in, you know, mystery. Even when we talk about it, you'll notice sometimes people will lower their voice. You know, if we're talking about someone who's terminally ill, we, we lower our voice. We, we somehow shroud it and we avoid it. And so I think that there's that piece of it. And I think because of that, we just don't have a lot of skill and ease at talking about it. 
And one of the things that I'm loving the most is working with organizations who recognize, you know, based on everything that's happened in the past year, but even without all that, you know, loss is a part of life and we have to be able to support people better. You know, it's sort of like one of the things I've noticed, and you've probably noticed this too, is that organizations who have amazing cultures and have innovative cultures even are so great at celebrating beginnings. They're so good at that. Like first days and promotions, achievements, you know, weddings and births, like we knock it out of the park. And that's so important because we want to celebrate things with each other and create this momentum and this, this bond over celebrations. And we're really good at the beginnings, but most of us are kind of like, okay, at the middles. And then most mm. of us are kind of ill-equipped, I would say, to handle the endings or the losses or the griefs. And it's not because we don't care. Like we care deeply, but I think that grief can trip us up because we don't have the right words and we feel like the stakes are really high. We don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm sure you've been in situations and I certainly have where, you know, someone was grieving and you had all the best intentions in the world and you said something that you hoped was going to be helpful or healing. And as you, as the words left your mouth, you thought, oh no, that's not the right thing. Well, it's interesting. I've had experiences. I remember last year when, when I had deaths in the family, like I had a lot of friends that were afraid to reach out. There's a discomfort around death that I think human beings just don't want to acknowledge. Well, they're afraid to say the wrong thing. Afraid to say the wrong thing. I think just, this is probably a whole other conversation, but I think death in general is a very like prickly conversation for many human beings, even though I've come to realize it is the one thing that is absolutely guaranteed. Absolutely. We spend our lives running from the one thing not thinking about the one thing that is absolutely guaranteed. And I think that there is a, a taboo around talking about it. Like it creates this discomfort and which is a deeper conversation around. I think we as a society in Western culture just don't, or any culture in the world really have a, a disconnection from our bodies. Yes. Some are better than others. I, I really do believe actually that, you know, we, we can change the dialogue. Yeah. On we can shift, you know, with having the right conversations in the in the right settings, we can shift that dialogue from what I'll call scared to sacred. Let's talk about that. So talk me through, like, I guess, how would you do that in a work setting? So let's say in a culture where you are driven by quarterly goals and you have deadlines and you've got, it's a very go, go, go sort of experience and it's tied to metrics, right? So how do you, how would you shift the conversation inside of a container like that? Well, that's a great question. First of all, I would, if I'm the founder or if I'm talking to the founder, I would just look at some of the headlines. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, but in Fortune, the headline was the biggest risk in business today is grief. And I think it was New York Times that said the grief crisis is coming. I mean, there's all kinds of research to show that businesses are going to have to, you know, be ready and be prepared to deal with this. And the best way they can do that is just by acknowledging the various losses we've had. So for me, I think about all the, all the various losses that we have in a regular time of our lives. You know, there's just even within a business construct, there's, you know, the departure, not the death of, but the departure of someone who's key, a key leader or a key coworker. And, and as they depart, you know, that's, that's a loss. There is all kinds of like physical health and mental health you know, there's the loss of, of any one of those things, temporary or worse than temporary. There's, you know, the loss of a beloved. 
we've both been through that in the last few years and many, many people, as we know, you know, this year has been, been huge for that. There's, you know, prenatal losses. Just recently, New Zealand, I think you probably heard in the news, just recently, New Zealand created legislation that women who have a prenatal loss, sometimes referred to as a miscarriage, I don't really love that term, but when you have a prenatal loss, you actually now get a maternity leave. The comment was made, well, that's what happens when you have a female prime minister. But I think they really are in touch with the fact that acknowledging loss is the first step for a country, for a business, for you and I, acknowledging it, acknowledging it's going to be messy and acknowledging that we just right up front will not always know the right thing to say. And there is no right way to handle it. It's going to be completely unique depending on the person. So let's say you're an employee who's going through a really difficult time. How would you recommend that person communicate what they're going through with their superiors in a way that like if they don't already live inside of a culture that accepts this, how do you recommend someone who is going through a tough time actually request, speak, or how would you communicate with that human being? Well, here's, here's some things that I think are really key that, that any company can do. There's some things they could do tomorrow. There's some things they could do next month and then some things would take a little bit longer. But right away, I think opening up the conversation, acknowledging that grief will tap us on the shoulder at work. And so we need to be ready, sort of reading those headlines, looking at the stats. I think it's like in a regular year in the US, 12.5 million people die. And on average, they leave behind five grievers. So I don't know the math on that, but I think it's, um, I don't know, maybe 15 million people grieving at any given time. And then you add in the COVID deaths and so on. So I think, first of all, just acknowledging we're going to have to get good at supporting people. We just, we just must. So then, so second, so open the conversation. Then secondly, some of the quick things that we as a company do or some of the organizations that I've talked to is they just try to do some really tactical things that will help. Number one, understand before someone even has a loss, ideally, understand what their style of communication is like. Like when things are awesome and there's something to communicate and celebrate, how do they love that? Do they love the spotlight? Do they like a quiet note? How do they love to be celebrated? Because that's important. And then when there is a challenge, how do they like that to be communicated? Get their input, understand their style Mm. so that you can work with them. Don't ask them in the middle of a a big loss for this information, ideally, because they're already dealing with everything else. But we have a way of gathering it. So we call it a personal profile that we gather really early in the going of the relationship with the employee to find out what's your style? How can we support you best in the really awesome times and in the times that are challenging? What kind of communication do you love? That sets the tones that when a a loss event happens, you're kind of ready. I love that. As you lead up to, as you're anticipating a loss event, and sometimes people have some time to prepare, how can we help you with, you know, being flexible? How can we, in our organization, we pair people with a grief partner, someone who's been down this road before. And we have a large organization. There are people who have been through the sort of, you know, grief training and grief workshops. They kind of understand how to talk about it. But setting up like a grief partnership is good. One of the things I love the most is like figuring out what are some meaningful condolences. So we call this kind of like opting for food over flowers, you know. So as a tradition in Western culture, we send flowers and flowers are lovely. Um, Some people wonder about sort of how they impact climate change, you know, cut flowers and things like that. But um, flowers are lovely, but there may be other far more meaningful things we could do for people. Maybe we could send them food give them meals. Maybe we could um, gift them with some time off. We had an organization, and I just love this, where someone had used a lot of their time off ahead of time for appointments and treatments and that kind of thing. And then when their, their beloved passed, they didn't have as much time as they would like. 
And so people around the organization, one person started it, it was like a beautiful, beautiful avalanche. They said, hey, I've got some extra vacation time. Take one of my days. And then someone said, hey, I've got some too. Take one of my days. So they gifted vacation days instead of flowers, which really is pretty meaningful. And I think. Wow. I, oh, I'm just, you're so thoughtful. I'm kind of blown away with the level of care. Like you're so empathetic. Is this something that comes naturally to you or did you build it over time? Were there experiences that allowed you to truly actually build the muscle of care? Because I mean, the level of care that I'm feeling from you is so, it's, it's nourishing. I can, as I would love to be one of your employees, you know, like just the idea of that, like, I mean, and just, well, and, and, and I, and I think it does create such a safe space for loyalty, for family, for tribe. I mean, we're all missing that. So I guess, how do you tell me, how did you learn to care so much? That's a beautiful question. And I think truly, you know, some people are really awesome at math and some people are great at physics. You know, some people, if you're going to try and move something large through a small space, they would know exactly what was going to fit where. I have none of those skills. <laughs> but I was born with this big capacity for love and it's, I don't take any credit for it. It's just one of those things like rather than being a mathematician, I just have this capacity for love. I'm, I've been gifted with eyes that just see, I would say, see the divine in the people that I meet. And I feel so blessed by that. And I think that in my business, I really see it as this beautiful container that just brings light into it. And those are, you know, in the form of employees, in the form of clients, in the form of networks, like the one that, you know, how you and I met. So I just see this great opportunity, you know, to build a business uh, as the construct, but really as a way to just honor people. I wanted to say, we don't get it right every day. So we, we, we often get it wrong. But what I love is that we're really, really focused on culture. And probably you, you I think we've talked about this before. We are involved with Virgin Unite and Richard Branson invited us to join this group of companies focused on something called 100% human at work. And so, you know, pre-COVID, we got together quarterly to, as companies, to sort of think about and dream about how do we get better? How do we, how do we you know, just allow people to bring 100% of themselves to work? And so I've learned a lot from the Virgin Group. And as a group, we share culture experiments, and it's a beautiful way to just dream of ways to, to, to treat people better. And over the years, you know, we've always sort of had this feeling that we really wanted to support one another in our company in every chapter. We've had, you know, obviously births and divorces and marriages and deaths and severe, serious illnesses. And we have found ways. And like I said, we haven't always got it right, but we found ways. We have these loss rituals, which we do in the company. We have a memorial garden. It's a loss ritual. Oh, well, it's really, really interesting. So when someone in our company, uh, and we actually do this now for other companies as well, when someone is going through a, a large challenge, we come together in what we call a support circle. We used to do it live in person, which I love the most, but now we've learned, we've pivoted, we know how to do it remotely, where we come together. There's a particular recipe. Everyone's very familiar with it. It feels really comfortable. And we come together in this, in this circle and we literally form this, this chain of strength around and with this person and we you know talk about what it is if they're comfortable they will kind of speak words to what the losses might be like a serious medical issue for themselves or for a family member it could be a loss oftentimes it's the loss of a loved one the impending loss of a loved one and basically we 
each person shares a word of intention to open the circle and strengthen the circle. And then we just send our intention and send like love and energy to that person in whatever way we feel comfortable because we've got lots of various cultures involved. It's obviously very, it's all voluntary, but we have lots of people who participate. And then the person kind of shares a few words. We set some words in front of them as a pathway, as like a beautiful pathway of light for them to walk on knowing that we're there and uh, they can recall the circle at any given time. There's other other factors that go with it. I think that having rituals like this, or it's, it's really, really important. We also have um, events like, well, like I said, every, every spring we have this memorial garden where anyone who's had a loss comes together and we can do it virtually as well. We've done it virtually where we place items underneath these trees. We say the person's name that we've lost. We tell a brief story about who they were to us. And we place these things, often they're stones or other things under these trees. And then they're in our memorial garden. These people are part of our family tree. I'm in awe of how much reverence you have for all the souls that you're meeting, the souls that are entering your company, the souls that are engaging with the ones that are entering your company. There's such a reverence for just people. And I I think I heard you say this, like you see the divinity in others. Can you describe how seeing the divinity in others actually adds even more color to the grieving process? Oh, for sure. Actually, let me, I might put it in another, in another construct because I love this visual. There's this concept, which I really, really love that we are the wave and the ocean. And I'm not sure if you've heard that before. Is but that a Rumi quote? Is that a Rumi oh, quote? Actually, it's actually, there is a Rumi quote that's similar. I think it's like about being a drop of water. Yeah. Yeah. This is slightly different. It's, it's, okay. it's probably an evolution of it. I heard it in one of the, the grief classes that I've taken and, and I've really been thinking a lot about it over the last year. And this is how it goes. It's like this, I don't know if you'd love this, but I love watching a wave crash on the shore. When I, if someone asked me, like, where do I find joy or what do I find like most interesting in the world other than like people and seeing, seeing the divine in them is where water meets land. Just picture anywhere where water meets land, there's always some reaction. There's like a ripple. If it's a stream, there's this beautiful little ripple as it meets little stones. If it's like a, an ocean, there's like a crash of waves. There's an expression where water hits land. And I'm always fascinated. I'm drawn to it. Every country I've ever been to, and, and certainly in Colombia, had this experience of just, you know, the water calls you. So I sort of see, and, and the concept is that, you know, we are the wave. As we hit the shore and we have this beautiful expression and there's this spray and this color and, you know, all the, all the layers of the wave hitting the shore. That is our unique expression. That's our individual expression. There's a wave for many different times in our lives where we get to have that beautiful, it's like a crashing, but in a beautiful, creative way. But then in that same moment that we are like having this individual expression, we are simultaneously, we're receding back into the ocean, which is the oneness. And so we have at this moment, we have these beautiful expressions of individuality. And then we have this recession into the ocean where Raj and I are one. Every person who's listening is a one. And so I believe that as we come together and we see each other, it's like, I can see the ocean in mm. and you can see the ocean in me. And so that when I see someone hurting or I see someone celebrating or I see someone even just on a path that feels like a middle, I am the ocean. And I'm the wave. And so I love seeing the ocean in other people. And even in moments where, you know, there may be a difficult conversation or something exactly in grief where you don't know what to say. 
I think just recognizing, I don't know what to say, but I, I can see the ocean in you. And my, my job then is for you to see the ocean in me. Because when we're in grief, if we know that someone sees us, we know that someone hears us, we know that someone wants to understand what it is we're going through. I mean, to me, I think that's just spectacular. That is the highest form of love. I think it is. It isn't saying the right thing. It isn't giving the right gift. It's It truly is just seeing somebody for where they're at and honoring them and their process and 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 allowing it to be what it will be and, and, and let that be the gift, the gift in saying goodbye. You know, one of the things that for businesses who are, you know, thinking to themselves, this sounds, you know, to some business owners, some founders, some HR folks, even this might sound like a bit, Intangible. So I love to also bring it to the tangible space and say, you know, if pre-pandemic, one in four people was experiencing the loss, and that's what the stats show us. So during the pandemic, that number's got to be much higher. So let's let's even just say, though, conservatively, if 25% of our workforce is experiencing loss and grief, it's impacting their ability to make decisions. It's impacting their productivity. It's impacting their quality of life. It's impacting the ways they can show up and serve our clients. It's impacting so many things. And, you know, if there was ever a time on the planet for us to learn how to use empathy and how to create some structure, now is the time. And so there's there's some tangible ways we can do this. Number one, leaders can open the conversation, acknowledge any losses that they're going through. So we talked earlier about, you know, sort of the traditional types of losses that we all have to contend with. And then when I think about the last year, the additional kind of nuanced losses that we've experienced that some people haven't even been able to speak words to. I think if we think about it this way, if we think about acknowledging a, like the loss of certainty, you know, human beings are two highest needs are certainty and significance. And our need for certainty has been just challenged beyond anything in the past year, because everything's been uncertain. Yep. Our need for safety like in the past, we used to believe that we could impact our own physical safety by making smart choices like, okay, don't drive like a lunatic. Don't jump out of airplanes. You know, all these various things would keep us safe. And now all of those traditional things that we thought would keep us safe, we have to think about just even breathing on someone, you know, so there's that kind of loss. There's to me, the big, other big nuanced unspoken losses are anticipation our ability to anticipate some great trip that was going to happen, which sometimes was like half the fun or anticipate going to our favorite restaurant or anticipate various things. And that gift of anticipation has been, you know, definitely put on hold. It's, it's been a loss. People have had to say goodbye to buildings, to teammates, to water coolers, to titles. You know, there's loss upon loss upon loss. I feel like loss is experienced anytime something you leaned on for any level of belonging of of safety of connection gets stripped it doesn't matter what it is there's there's an event of of grieving or there's there's any maybe not even call it grieving maybe widen the phrase to just call it an emotional experience like there are emotions associated with those experiences that get to be honored and i think we as a culture and a society don't give ourselves permission to honor those little things, at least powerfully. We don't stand in our power and say, hey, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel 
you know, like we, I, th- I think the bigger issue at hand is that, you know, we just as a culture haven't really been given the permission to feel yeah. and we haven't been given the awareness. How do you teach, I guess, I mean, I imagine there are people in your organization that aren't very good at feeling. I imagine there are people in your organization that come from a wide range of backgrounds, from family upbringings, from unique life experiences that give them a range of, of like they're somewhere on the spectrum when it comes to giving themselves the permission to grieve. How yeah. do you facilitate the grieving process for somebody who's not very good at grieving? That's a, a phenomenal question. And I think with anything, you know, what you want to do in your organization, whatever the skill is, you want to distribute skill throughout the organization. So you want to find people who feel comfortable to, to gain more skill and ease with supporting people through all the chapters. So what we've done is we've created, you know, volunteer opportunities for people to take, we call it, we have a certification actually for good grief guides in our organization and we're, we're training other organizations in the same. So distributing this skill is number one, normalizing the conversation by as a leader or by that distributed group, talking about it, opening the conversation. This is really important. I think that one of the best things we can do, like I said before, is get to know, customize the response to loss for people. Understand when they have loss, what's, what's going to make them feel best? What is their culture? Do they, would they love it if you attended some of the, if there's a funeral or a visitation or whatever's culturally relevant for them? Would they love someone from their workplace to show there and be their solidarity? Or do they feel like this is somewhere where family is the best um, presence? And so find out what, what is it? Find out also when they return to work. So we have a whole section that we, we do in terms of helping people. It's a return to work plan. It's like, understand the communication plan. So how comfortable are they with the communication? How widely would they like this communication spread? What methods, like, are they okay with, you know, something like Slack or email? Does that feel disrespectful? So find out what are their preferences, first of all. Create a communication plan so they don't have to think about it at the time. Or if there's updates, they don't have to be the one giving all the updates. Someone else can sort of take that off their mind. When they are ready to return to work, what does that look like for them? How can we customize it and make it flexible so it's going to fit them? And then how do we revisit it occasionally? Because what we think today might be great for us might not actually be great when a loss event happens. And then when they are returning to work, how do we make sure that they have a safe space to go to when grief taps them on the shoulder and they need to kind of like remove themselves from it? Do we give them permission if it's all remote? You know what, for the first while, you don't need to have your camera on. You know what, we totally respect that, you know, you're, you're kind of easing yourself back into it if it needs to be part-time if it needs, you know, everyone has their own way. Some people want to charge back into work because that's how they manage through it. And then, you know, a month from now, they're going to feel a wave. So how do we, how do we customize our response? That's, that's number one. Number two, how throughout the organization do we educate people like through lunch and learns or through like just interactive workshops about how do we help people move through different chapters, whether it's celebrations or whether it's losses, what language can we use? One of the great workshops we've done is, and it's really simple and any company could do this next month, is have a lunch and learn and ask people, we've all been through losses. What was something that someone said to you that really felt healing in the moment? And what was something that was said to you that you think, ooh, they meant well, but that just did not sit well with me. And then what are some things you've said in those situations that you afterwards thought, oh my gosh, I meant well, but I shouldn't have said it. And what are some things when you said them, you thought, yeah, this really worked. Because as we talked about before, one of the things that keeps us from supporting people is this feeling and fear like we're going to say the wrong thing. So acknowledge right up front, it's going to be messy. We're probably going to say the wrong thing and maybe even say, I don't know what to say, but I am right here. I see you and I hear you. 
Mm. Gosh, I, uh, I just love how uniquely customized your approach is versus like making somebody go through a process that you think is best for them. I just love that. Like I, it's, it's, and it's, and it takes, it takes effort and it takes care and it takes a mindful approach to really think in, in that way and, and, and care in that way. I can't even imagine, like I, I can, I can only imagine how wonderful of an experience. So like, what has the feedback been, I guess, from from people who are going through a process like this? And like, how do they feel? Have you collected any, collected any feedback from like, like a post-grief experience? Like, what does this level of support actually facilitate for them? Like, do they feel a greater level of connection with the person who passed? Is there a greater level of healing that's happening for them? Like, what are some of the, I guess, the tangible benefits that that you're seeing as a result of, of approaching the grieving process with such a customized lens? Well, first of all, when you say, you know, I can't even imagine what it takes to create this customized approach. It takes a lot of thinking about it at first, but we've done that. So what we can do for organizations is that we create, we have these templates, we call them um, pathways for grief. And so there's, you know, various pathways depending on the type of loss. And then, you know, you can just ask ask your team to, to customize for their own experience. So there's actually like this beautiful system. So you don't have to think about it too hard anymore. We've kind of done the work to kind of nice. set it up. Great. Beautiful. And I mean, we're learning a lot. I have to tell you about this one experience that we had, like I said, over the past years, I think we've done a really good job in most cases. In some cases where there was a loss and the person didn't feel comfortable talking talking about it, I feel like we could have done more. You know, we, we really want to respect that. But I felt like, oh, I wish I would have tried harder or thought of more creative ways. So we're learning, you know, we learn as we go. But we had this big experience last September where we had hired someone just had started with our company two weeks before they experienced a loss event. And it was the first one we had remotely. So we had all these great things in place as an on-premise workplace. But this was the first time we had a loss that happened while we were all remote and where this person was brand new. So they had not had a chance to see the ocean <laughs> and uh, we hadn't actually physically been in the same room together because of, of COVID. And so I looked at that whole experience and realized we were woefully unprepared and I didn't, I never wanted to be caught off guard like that again. So that was an experience that I think we did not do a beautiful job at. But it really propelled us. And just like every company, we'll look back at ways they've handled various things and think, this is a real catalyst for me to get way better at this. So on that note, I'm, I have to ask this question because it's, it's burning a hole in my chest. Why are you so inspired to support people in this way? My educational background is social work. Before I veered into the private sector and, and ran these other companies, I was a medical social worker and worked with people in palliative care, among other things. And when I was really young, about 28 years old, I had this experience of being with a, a patient in the hospital who was, they were having their last days on the earth. And I think it really, it really impacted me, the beauty of asking the right questions and being present to possibilities. Because I think oftentimes when people are grieving or certainly when they're, when they're dying, you know, there can be this energy that says I'm kind of like hopelessly waiting 
for something to change or I'm hopelessly waiting for this day that I don't know what the day is, but that's going to come where I'm going to leave the earth. And I think there are some beautiful things we can do to shift that energy from a hopelessly kind of waiting to a purposefully being present. And I saw that happen. I saw that happen with this. It was a young mom, uh, the first person that I was with, and she had two young children. And when I first came to have the referral from the doctor and, and sit bedside with her, we didn't know it at the time, but she was sort of three weeks away from leaving the earth. And there was a lot of sadness and a lot of fear and a lot of a lot of that hopelessly waiting kind of feeling you know no one really knew what to do her husband and and the next time I came and sat with her after I got a sense of what was happening it was just the two of us and I I asked her I said there's a lot of things you'd love to say to your kids and she said yeah she said they're a bit too young right now and I said to her you know what age do you think would they understand like if you could think forward like maybe when they're 10 or 12 or what age do you think they would be if you had that conversation that you're wanting to have would make sense for those, for your kids, because you know them so well. And she said, well, I'm thinking like maybe 10 years old. And I said, and we didn't have much technology back then. I said, well, what if, what if we wrote a letter that they could read, you know, when they turned 10? And, you know, just, I remember that moment feeling the energy shift. And she said, well, I'm pretty tired. I said, that's okay. I could be the pen and paper and you could just be the words whenever you have the energy. And so what, that, that started this process of the next couple of weeks of writing these beautiful, beautiful letters that she, she poured her heart into. And just feeling the shift in that moment of her energy of moving into this, like giving something and having this purpose and this focus. And then when her husband came to visit and she was telling him what she was working on, and then, you know, he became involved. What I realized is that when you, when you shift the energy towards giving it changes everything. And I've thought about those boys so much over the, um, over the years and thinking, oh, I hope they got those letters. I hope they didn't, no one moved or they didn't get left in a drawer. And I've had those thoughts. And I've had this thought, you know what? The, the beauty of her putting that energy into the world, that was the gift. And I'm sure the universe has, has plans or has already delivered all of those messages. But it was just a beautiful experience. And I think through that experience, and then when I lost my, my mom, said goodbye to my mom, we were so blessed we had an entire year we call it the goodbye year with my mom and I got these nudges throughout this entire time about how to just really be present and how to savor the moments and the conversations to have and you know sometimes the tough conversations but I call it like truth telling truth tastes a little different it's a felt conversation the conversations that cut through the noise, that cut through the the fear, the shame, the guilt, any, it just cuts straight to the heart of it. There's a clarity to a conversation that's coming from the heart and and something that's honoring your truth and, and the truth of the moment. And there's a there's a delicious level of alchemy that I feel happens when two souls are connected in that space. There's a, there's a, it's magic. It's pure magic. The healing that occurs, the, the, the freedom, the permission to actually let go and surrender into the divine and the, the mystery of, of the moment. And, and it's so beautiful that you've had so many moments. It seems they weren't, they were experiences, but really they were moments moments that you chose to be present inside of, moments that you chose to 
put all of your heart and attention on the human being in front of you. And in those moments came sparks of inspiration that now allows you to serve so many people in such beautiful ways. And I, I think that's such, that's, that's such a reminder for myself and anyone listening that the moments that you lose yourself inside of the moments that are in front of you have such a, a graceful way of unlocking that level of connection to what you were truly meant to do in your life. And I love you, Tracy. Like you, you really are just such a delightful and wonderful human being. Like I, I knew that I had, I knew that I knew that so well. And this conversation just made me love you so much more. You attract very special people because you have this gorgeous heart. And I think you are such a truth seeker. And yeah, thank you. I, I, you know, I feel very, very fortunate that I have this capacity to, to love and connect. And of course I've got I have my bad days too, or days where I probably, you know, look back and think, oh, I should have done that better. You know, we all have, have those, but these kinds of conversations that we're having right now and, and this ability to help in this time, you know, in the world to support people, I think is it's just such a great opportunity. And I love this. Um, I think, I don't know if we talked about this before, but in moments where there's a call for, for help, there's a call for people to step in, you know, oftentimes the thing that holds them back is either not knowing what to say or feeling like that, you know, that imposter syndrome that we sometimes talk about. And yeah. I remember last April, I was in this, on this Zoom call with Seth Godin and someone asked him the question, what do you think about imposter syndrome? Like, what, what do you do in that case? And he said, you know, so imposter syndrome. He says, I am, you are. Let's go be imposters in service to other people. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much. So we don't have to wait till we know all the answers. We don't have to wait until we've got a perfect track record, right? We can just decide. And you do that all the time. I see that in you. It's taken a lot of courage and lovely support. And people reminding me, like yourself, that it is as simple as choosing to love the person in front of you and loving them the way that they need to be loved. And that can show up in so many different ways. And Tracy, I'm just so grateful that that you're here. And I, and I want to, so you, you mentioned a lot of resources on this call or on this, uh, on this podcast, just around processes and guides. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, what you're creating in the world and what resources might be available for anybody who's either working for an organization and they want to send this, you know, send these resources to their, their leaders, or maybe even a leader who wants to go deeper into implementing some of the practices you've mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about Good Grief at Work and anything else that you've got in the world? Yeah, of course I would love that. So there's a website called Good Grief at Work and uh, there are some resources there. And also, you know, there's an easy way to connect with me and I'd be happy to answer questions for anyone and, and uh, uh, some good free resources there's also a, a, an event coming up May 5th and 6th, uh, depending on when this airs, called the Banished Burnout Summit. That's a, a really amazing summit for leaders and HR folks and, and just anyone who's interested about how do we help each other at this point in time in the planet where people are experiencing burnout. And, you know, that happens in a regular year and it's, you know, just accelerated and, and uh, escalated right now because of everything people are going through. So there's some amazing speakers on that summit, people that you know, Joey Coleman, and JJ Virgin, David Burkus, Cameron Harold, myself, and uh, a number of other folks who are, are really have a lot 
to give and it's it's free of charge. We're just doing it as a gift because the time is right to do that. So there's some great resources there. There's some really great books. I would say one of my favorite, favorite books of all time is um, this one. It's called Five Invitations. I'm going to send it to you, Raj. You probably can't see it. I but it's called that. Five Invitations, Discovering What Death Can Teach Us About Living Fully. Mm. And um, it's written by one of my favorite, favorite teachers of all time. His name is Frank Ostateski. And he's one of the founders of the Zen Hospice. I guess just one last thing, I, if I could share mm-hmm. from Frank, is that he's been with so many people as they've grieved so many different types of losses. And he's been with thousands of people as they died. And just like a little food for thought, he teaches that regardless of the culture or the gender or any various uh, things that, that make us different, the things that make us similar are that when people are you know, moving towards the end of their lives, they tend to, they use different words, of course, but they tend to, if you boil it down, they tend to ask themselves two questions. And if they can get really quiet with themselves, they ask these two questions. And so I would just encourage you when someone's grieving, maybe to think about these, these two, and then more importantly, to think about them for yourself. So the two questions are, am I loved? And have I loved well? Mm-hmm. What really just fills my soul is that if those are the two questions and he's got the experience, he's got the, he's gotten that access and, and the experience If those are the two questions that people ask at the end of their lives when they have, you know, a few days, weeks or months, you know, remaining why aren't those questions we ask ourselves today you know those are the questions we should be asking ourselves today and there's so many layers to each question but um you know if we ask ourselves to today it's like borrowing the wisdom from death in order to live because if we start thinking about those questions and the answers for ourselves now it could totally change the way we live every day between now and when we are on our deathbed so that's it. I think this book, The Five Invitations, is an incredible resource. I would highly recommend it. And I would just recommend the best resource I think of all is maybe just connecting to your own gentle truths about, you know, death, trying to change the dialogue on it so that it doesn't feel so scary. And maybe just ask yourself, I wonder what I am going to be thinking about. There's this quote that I love that says, you know, the best thing you can do is that when it's time to die, the only thing you have left to do is die. You know, you don't want to have a lot of things on your to-do list or a lot of conversations left that you wish you'd had. Have them now. I think I love what you talk about is be brave in your pursuit of truth. You know, be brave about these conversations. You know, the resource is your own soul to say, what conversations do I wish I would have had? And I can, I can be brave enough to have them. And if I, if I need to borrow brave from somebody, who's that person in my life who can stand right with me and see me and hear me through it? Uh, you are such a lovely human being. <laughs> I, 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 I adore you. Tracy, thank you so much for just your energy, your presence, your wisdom. Oh my gosh, I learned so much and was reminded of so many profound truths and principles that um, I know are just so simple in nature, yet just so impactful. So I just want to thank you again for being here. I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you're going and everywhere you've been, how do you stay grounded? Ah, how do I stay grounded? Well, two things, actually. I I thought about this the other day when I was listening to your your show about crystals. And I think it was your Mm. March recap Mm. around crystals and so on. And I have a beautiful, I've got a beautiful crystal here, which is a, it's a beautiful amethyst that um, an incredibly amazing friend of mine, Samet Gelot, 
Do you remember Sam? I know Sam. Yeah, Sam brought me from Kenya. It's this beautiful piece of amethyst and it's like, I keep it right beside my desk and uh, I, I love it because it just feels so, it feels very grounding, very peaceful and I love it so much. So that's one thing. But I think the other thing I've noticed in myself, you know, there's been turbulence in this, this past year for all of us. You know, there's days, you know, where it's not the uncertainty of things or, you know, you're just tired because you've been working hard to keep your company going through some very uncertain times. And the moments where I've woken up and felt like, oh, do I have it in me? Do I have it in me today? I immediately shift so far. I'm not, I'm not saying this will last forever, but so far I can immediately shift myself into action if I think, how could I serve somebody else? For instance, I had a day like that probably a month ago where I just thought, oh, I'm, I feel like my tank is a bit low. I got thinking about some of the other people in our organization who I really love and that their tanks are probably pretty low. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to will myself to uh, go to the phone and in an old fashioned manner, dial their extension, hear their voice and just ask them how they're doing. And I think that, you know, when we can be in service to other people, that can fill our tank back up pretty quickly. Mm, I love that. Just, it's always so simple. It's always so simple. It's not always easy, but it's always simple. Oh, that's a point. That's a good distinction. All right. Well, Tracy, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Tracy. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.